This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, episode 52. This is Writing Excuses, from the page to the stage. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. Brandon's missing... And he's missing because we have two special guests this week, Allison Hill and C. Austin Hill, who I have been led to understand are doing an adaptation of a Dan Wells book. That Who's is Dan correct. Wells? Um, oh, that know. was we the never I'm say Dan the last the name. End. Oh, you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, this is uh, actually my sister and her husband. They. Uh, they live in Tennessee. She owns, or not owns, but runs a children's theater. He is a theater professor, and uh, as, as one of her projects, she has taken my vampire comedy, A Night of Blacker Darkness, and uh, we're converting that, adapting it as a stage play. And we thought, this is too perfect, let's do an episode about stage adaptation. I love it. Okay, so from a, uh, from a structural standpoint, just for the discussion, um, I want to start with the, the theory of this. Um, the the title of the episode, from the page to the stage, that's an actual thing that theater people say. That's right. Yes. What is what is the theory behind this? What are your what are your guiding principles? What do you where do you start? I mean, besides starting with a great book, <laughs> you start with the page, and you'll end with the uh, stage. Yes, that's, okay. that's generally what you do. First thing you have, like you say, you have to start with a great book. And Night of Black or Darkness. When you read it, everybody says, oh, this has to go on the stage. So it was a no-brainer. But the first thing that you have to do is a book, you may have noticed, is very, very long. And plays are not. And so you have to cut it down. So you have to look at what is important in the book, not just plot-wise, but character-wise, character development-wise. Theme. Theme, Mm. motives. All of these things that have to go from the book to the stage. Also, you have to look at what is playable on stage that reads really well in a book but does not read on stage. Mary made made this big nodding gesture gesture (laughs) when you said what is playable on the stage. Is there a story? Oh, there's so many stories. But... um, (laughs) But one of the things that I was also thinking as she was, it was the, the nodding gesture was actually the sentence prior to that, which oh. was um, when you were going through the, the elements that the audience expects to see. So when you're doing an adaptation, one of the things that you want is for the audience to come out of the, the theater feeling like they have seen the book. So um, frequently when you're doing children's theater or puppetry or, or, or adult theater, mm-hmm. um, you're doing an adaptation because you're trying to play off the popularity, honestly. Uh, that's, that's not a concern with my book. Yeah. <laughs> not always, well, but... Uh, you've got to be more so in my town, thank yeah. you very much. Um, but often that's the case. So when they come to see the show, they need to leave the theater feeling like they have actually seen... Like if they come to see Pinocchio, they need to feel like they have actually seen Pinocchio. So part of what you're doing is you're identifying the iconic elements of the thing which includes the tone, the characters, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't, depending on the type of adaptation, that does not always mean that you have to do a direct 
linear translation on the stage. And frequently, a direct linear translation on the stage will fail badly. Correct. The, the yes. brilliant uh, theater writer and theorist Peter Brook, in his book, The Empty Space, talks at great length about adaptation. And he talks about changes in form. He talks about when you take something that's in one artistic form and you make it into another artistic form, like a book to a play or a book to a film or any other sort of adaptation, there are ne necessary changes in form that have to take place. But keeping the structural integrity or the story integrity or the character integrity or hopefully some variation of all of these things is what's going to help your audience to feel that sense of fullness when they leave the theater after seeing this adaptation. Yeah, and so let me, oh, go ahead. Well, one of the, the things that, that theater can do that uh, t has an enormous pull in, in writing is, is uh, scenery. Mm. You know, yes. we spend a lot of time as writers describing stuff. Yeah. And so you have to control the order of presentation Whereas with theater, the audience is going to be looking at the whole stage. So while there is still a cost for theater, the cost comes at a different place and in different ways for the, the visuals than it does for the, the visuals in, the, in written. So as we've, as we've talked about the, uh, uh, this, this translation process, yeah. um, specifically with regard to Night of Black or Darkness, are there pieces that jump out at you that you that you were excited to translate and are there pieces that you threw out okay so there's a great story involved here and i'm glad brandon's not on this podcast because it'll break his little heart oh, um yes. most of the people who read the book you ask them what their favorite part was and they will say the fact discussion it's my favorite part it my is favorite it's, part. it's great it does not work and this is why it's so important to identify, like Mary said, the iconic elements that make the story function. Say it does not work on it the stage. It does not work stage. on stage. Yeah. It oh. works great in the book. But on stage, A, the form is so much shorter. You're there for an hour, hour and a half. You don't need the plot recapped halfway through, which is part of the purpose of the fact discussion. Another reason is um, it just simply doesn't read. When you're reading along, you have the freedom. The, part of the purpose is that it is intentionally confusing. And that's what makes it kind of funny, is that they're referring to 19 or 20 different things purely by number. And you kind of lose track, and the reader is encouraged to you know, either flip back and try to figure out, wait, which one is fact five again? Um, that doesn't play on a stage, because you don't have that freedom to flip back and forth. Okay. Well, Having seen the Blue Man Group show, it occurs to me that the way Blue Man Group would handle something like that is with actual numbers and sign cards being carried around on the stage. Yes, they would. Yes. But yep. that yes, is not would. the play that you guys are making. If we were doing that sort of a play, I would 100% stick that in and do it with numbers and sign cards because I am all about that kind of theater. It just doesn't work in yeah. this play. This stage so. adaptation is going to be somewhat more akin to to realism, really. As, as much as, as a play much as, about vampires. As a play about which vampires is, which can is be why about you realism. started with this book. That's right. Yes. Yeah. We, we wanted so, to do realism. We thought, hmm, vampires are good. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what we had to do then, you know, once, once Allison pointed that out to me, and I'm like, but I like that part. Um, you know, there's so many darlings that have to be murdered in the process. 
of, of, of doing this adaptation. About you know, we, we had to look at that scene and say, well, what's really important about it? And it's not the really funny, confusing conversation. It's the one key decision that they make. And so we just have to m make that in a different way that's shorter and, and plays. Mm -hmm. So on the subject yeah. of murdering darling. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Our book of the week this week is Night of Black or Darkness. Um, Dan? You, okay. you want to pitch this to us so that they can hear it before the darlings are all dead? <laughs> <laughs> a Night of Blacker Darkness is a book that I self-published a few years ago. You can find it on Audible. You can find, uh, um, you can find the, uh, the Kindle versions of it and stuff. But it is, uh, it is a historical vampire farce uh, set in 1817 in England about a, a man who was trying to steal an inheritance. He is a banker committing bank fraud, and he gets caught... And then he realizes that his scheme is still in motion, but he has to escape. So he escapes from prison in the classical way. He pretends to be dead, gets hauled out in a coffin. And when he gets out of the coffin at the graveyard, somebody sees him and assumes he's a vampire. So he then spends the rest of the book running away from the police, the vampire hunter, the actual vampires, and uh, trying as hard as he can to commit this crime uh, with the help of John Keats and Mary Shelley. <laughs> Outstanding. Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Uh, the uh, Night, of Black, little, uh, Night of Blacker Darkness by Dan Wells, read by Sean Barrett. You can start a trial membership and have that read to you for free. Um, okay. How, how do you go about this? We've talked a little bit about the theory. What are your, what's in your toolbox? When you, when you need to take, when you need to take something like this and, and bring it on the stage, and you've already made some decisions about, uh, you know, ditching the fact scene, uh, what, what the theme is, what are, your, what are your tools for making this work? There's a lot of tools. You have, like I said, you just have to go through scene by scene. First of all, you have to put it into scenes. Mm -hmm. And then you have to go through scene by scene what's important, what characters are introduced, what information do we learn. There's a lot of things, something that I toyed with, with Night of Black or Darkness, what can be condensed into a uh, audience address uh, narrative narrative thank you <laughs> uh, which is something that we do a lot in the children's theater right it's when when you take for instance Cinderella which is an hour and a half children's movie and you take it down into a half an hour long children's play nearly the entire thing is done in narrative because you can so cover one, of, you can one cover of your characters a is lot. a narrator. Oh, who yeah. Is Most of them are narrators. You can cover vast amounts of plot in narration. And if I can jump in here and translate that for the, our listeners who are usually writing prose, what she's talking about is that there are times in theater, most of the time you're doing showing in theater. And when you mm -hmm. bring in a narrator, you switch to telling. So yes. when we say show, don't tell, this is a prime example of where you can use telling or narration to compress things. Yeah. Time to tell instead. Yes. yes. Yeah. And, and you do that in places where you need to convey information and move the plot along very quickly. So that you can get to the, the part that is actually fun to see. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so where Frederick, for instance, the main character, instead of showing him going from the 
prison to the graveyard and going through that whole process, he could just say, and now I'm in the coffin and I'm going here and doing this. We can just go there very, very quickly. And I toyed with that, but there's so much in the latter half of the book that we want to see and we don't want to be told that it just it doesn't work very well for this book. And, and so I'm, I don't think it's going to work. And I'm going to, if I may jump in on one other thing really quickly, one of the other things that this is useful for, for uh, all sorts of things is one step that we did not talk about in the adaptation is knowing the size of your theater and your budget. That's right. Absolutely. With, because in on a Broadway stage with unlimited budget, you would have absolutely been able to show the going from the graveyard from the the, uh, the jail to the graveyard because you could have had hydraulics and and yes. fifty gazillion yes. stagehands. <laughs> in a smaller theater for children, where you only have half an hour, you you cannot afford either the time or the, the resources. And With even writing, at our small college where we've got, where, where we'll be doing this production, I have some resources. I don't have the resources of, of large research one universities. So we've got, we've got lights and we've got curtains and we have a stage and I don't have a fly system to fly things in and out and I don't have hydraulics to lift things up and down and I don't have yeah. a yeah. trap door to drop mm -hmm. things out of sight. Oh, yeah. so, so this has I been... Know. A big concern as, as Allison and I go through the script back and forth and we listen to the readings and we think, well, how are we going to make this scene change work? Yeah. You know, that is actually a big part of which scenes we use and which scenes we don't use it's because we don't have a sure. Okay, so that's, yeah. uh, uh, I, I, I was going to say can of worms, but I'm not can of wormings, wormings this for another episode. Dan, they're involving you in this process? Yes. You get to yes. play along? I do. Uh, officially, Allison and I are collaborating on this project. So how, what, what is the big well, difference for you? From, from my perspective, um, it allows us to cheat a little bit more. You know, if I were adapting, like, Harry Potter for the stage, for example, I would feel more obligated to present it as the author wrote it. Since, given that I am the author and I can adapt it any way I want, Allison and I have made some pretty big decisions. Like, Huge. let's remove this location from the story altogether. You have the luxury to say, uh, this is actually what I meant. <laughs> or, this is how I'm going to convey this now. Rather than moving back and forth between London and Bath, we're going to set the entire thing in London, because that makes our scene transitions easier, and that allows us to put in more story and less connective tissue. Although, you do actually do that even when you don't have access to the author. <laughs> yeah, Which is yeah. true. I just feel we less guilty would. about doing it. You yeah. asked earlier about the tools available yeah. uh, in doing this, this adaptation. One of the best tools available to us, because I'm the head of a theater program at a small college with a beginning acting class, is I have a troupe of actors. Yes. The cardinal rule of theater, the fundamental truth, is that theater was never meant to be read. It was always meant to be heard. And to be able to sit down with a troupe of actors, We've one in each readings. role, and doing an, a reading of this script with Dan on Skype, mm -hmm. we were able to let Dan and Allison both Because Shakespeare hear. used Skype. <laughs> yeah, he totally did. You bet he did. Yeah, uh, I hear, yeah, FaceTime, yep. He yeah, spent all of his time in Stratford, really. You didn't know that. Uh -huh. Skype Skypespear. But, but we were able to, to allow, I was able to allow Dan and Allison to focus on listening to these words and to mm -hmm. this play by providing them with a troupe of actors. Yeah, there's also a saying that if an actor, if it is possible for a line to be misinterpreted, the actor will find it. <laughs> oh, yes. And, and Regency English lines 
read in the oh, Tennessee accent. Listening to these kind of some deep southern accents, reading this. Uh, oh, it's been fantastic. But as it Chris is a points truth out, universally acknowledged <laughs> that a man in possession of a good fortune. Sorry. <laughs> it it's been a, a great oh, boon to the process. Are you really a vampire? <laughs> How can you be a vampire, Frederick? Sometimes wow. rhymes Bless his don't heart. Work. No, he wow. don't have a heart. He's a vampire. I'm writing a book about Frankenstein. Oh no! <laughs> oh dear. Okay, so I mean, I'm making fun of my own people as we're doing as we're doing these uh, these. <laughs> <laughs> we are hopefully bad imitations right of, of, of these actors. Uh, confession, when I read Night of Blacker, Blacker Darkness, um, it didn't strike for me the way it struck for a lot of people. I didn't, I didn't find it funny enough. And part of that, well, hang on, part of that is that the way I voiced the dialogue and the jokes and the things in my head was very different from the way Dan was voicing it. Uh, so when you say you know, an, an actor, if there's a wrong way to read it, an actor will find it. If there was a wrong way to read this book, I probably found a lot of them. Mm -hmm. When you have actors reading these lines, um, okay, I guess this is a directorial yeah. question. How do you, you know, in the script, direct them so that the emphasis is on the right syllable and so on and so forth so that the jokes hit? Part of that then becomes my job. Uh, once the script is done, um, I'll be directing the production of this that we hope to do in the fall. Um, and part of that then becomes my job. I need to understand authorial intent. I need to understand what, what the playwrights meant well, to do. And part of, of, before it even gets there, is simplifying the stage directions. Because he's done yeah. really great uh, in the book, the his descriptions, I have to simplify that into the stage directions. So instead of his, his like Percy screams, I don't even know what you wrote, but it goes on for a paragraph of, of Percy's scream, and I'm just like, Percy screams. <laughs> <laughs> but but we're able to take through through clarity on their part and through understanding both the text. I need to understand their performance text. I also part of my responsibility as director is to understand Dan's original story. I need to know. Good luck. Right? I need to know where it came from. I need to understand the original from whence the adaptation was made. And then I need to understand the performance text. And then I need to understand my actors well enough to know how to get them to that end goal. Because if I leave it in their hands, just like if they left it in my hands, by ourselves, I mean, mm -hmm. something's bound to go wrong. But through collaboration and through... Uh, I, I very much want Dan and Allison both involved in every facet of this production up to the day we open to the extent that they can be. Yeah, and uh, what he's talking about, very quick before we end, that's one of the great benefits of, of, of having the cast be able to read this and be able to listen to it. And, and Allison and I have been doing our best to kind of discern, okay, that line didn't work. Is mm -hmm. it because they read it wrong or is it because that line just doesn't work? Yes. And then that's helped us kind of pare it down to what, you know, what it needs to be, the core essence of the show in an hour and a half on stage. But what's stage. very good news is that even the first time these actors held these words in their hands, and the first time they opened their mouths and out of their mouths these words came, 
They were laughing. They were so laughing hard. at times hard enough that we had to stop and we couldn't. Oh, continue. that's always a good sign. Which is a very good sign yeah. to me as a director, as the the sort of decision maker on programming this play. That was how I knew that this was going to go forward. I didn't need to see a final draft before I can commit to this project moving forward with my company at my little college. Standing. Because I know that it's funny enough in the first draft of the adaptation that I could put it straight to the stage. Yeah. Okay, we, we are out of time. I want to ask a yes-no can of worms question for Dan. Has this experience of adaptation informed your writing in ways that's going to change the way you write books in the future? Not yet. <laughs> okay. I'll say yes, because I've done this, and yes, it has. Outstanding. Uh, Dan, is, do you have our writing prompt? I do have the writing prompt. Uh, the, the core idea for this story, uh, for Blacker Darkness, when I started writing it years ago, was uh, let's take vampires and depict them as having all of the weaknesses and none of the strengths of a traditional vampire. And the story kind of grew out of that. So that's your writing prompt. Pick a monster and then write a story in which that monster has all of the weaknesses traditionally associated with it, but none of the strengths that make it powerful. You are out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.